Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, welcome to Hollywood Crime Scene. This is Rachel Fisher. Hi, this is Desi Jedekin. What's up? Hey. Hey. <laughs> Where it's Indictment Eve, I suppose, when it, we're taping this. It is. So we might have some exciting indictment news tomorrow. We actually have, I wanted to make an announcement on the main show, is that tomorrow we will be recording and posting our bonus episode, which is available to Patreon subscribers. We do a new bonus episode every single week. That's additional content. If you're itching for more content, our bonus episodes are usually filthy and disgusting. Um, I have decided to release some very sensitive information about myself. I'm going to reveal if I prefer circumcised or uncircumcised oh, you are? dicks on tomorrow's bonus episode. Oh, wow. For a very special our- episode. <laughs> it's a very special bonus episode. Am I supposed to come up with my own philosophy on that? I mean, I feel like I started this conversation, Desi right? started it, but people kept asking us in our mentions about this on Twitter yesterday. They're like, well, what do you guys prefer? I'm like, I'm not going to just tell you on Twitter. Oh, you're if, smart. You're a businesswoman. I'm a businesswoman. <laughs> if you'd like to know my preference and why my preference is my preference, please tune in. Be, become a Patreon subscriber. That's patreon.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. Um, and I would like to thank, we have a few new uh, Patreon supporters who will find out that information tomorrow. Um, Terry, I think it's Terry, T-H-E-R-R-I. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm not going to say Terry. That would be like. <laughs> no, Terry. <laughs> Terry, right. Okay. I don't know. It's a different spelling. Brent and Stephanie. Yay. Uh, Stephanie was from today. So oh, cool. She got in just in the nick of time. She did. Um, thank you so much. And today is part two of Martha Moxley. So exciting. Are you guys all dying to hear the stunning, I stunning conclusion? Okay. So uh, let's just get right into it because I'm not sure if this is a lot of information or not. We'll see. Uh, so when we left off, Dominic Dunn, the famous crime writer, had gotten a um, copy of something called the Sutton Report, which was um, an investigation financed by Rushton Skakel, uh, just to sort of refresh your memory. And he was having a conversation with Lucianne Goldberg, who is a literary agent and was representing Mark Furman at the time. She happened to contact Dominic to see if there was any juicy new case that Mark should um, start investigating. And he was like, well, oh boy, do I have, (laughs) oh boy, do I have just what you're wanting. Okay, right? So, I mean, at the time, I think we all know Mark Furman was pretty hated after the OJ trial. Despite all of that, he was kind of having a mini comeback. He had written a book about the OJ trial, and he was sort of widely considered to be a very good detective, despite whatever. Besides, yeah, despite that, or to in frame that him. investigation. In that investigation, no, but that's besides the point. I'm sure we'll do an OJ thing one day, and we can get into my theories because I've read literally every book on it and seen everything ever made about OJ. <laughs> And watched quite a lot of the trial. Yes. (laughs) 
part of the, the appeal of this book, obviously we talked about last time, was that they have, um, through marriage, are related to the Kennedys. So anything Kennedy is going to be a huge oh, yeah. fucking deal. I don't know, most of you probably know this, but Dominic Dunn was a huge fixture at the O.J. Simpson trial as well. And he did not actually meet Mark Furman at the time. And he was kind of like all of us, pretty much hated him. So Lucianne Goldberg, Mark Furman. So Mark Furman actually went to Dominic Dunn's house in Connecticut, and that's where he kind of got the um, Sutton report. Um, he was, uh, according to Dominic Dunn, very eager to, to get in, into the case. And um, Dunn actually threw a kind of welcome to Greenwich party for him and invited several of the Greenwich Police Department uh, to this party. Dominic Don actually is pretty pro-cop. Like, really? Yeah. So I don't know what to make of that, but I'm just giving you that tidbit. I mean, I can see you might want to think. I think he's Irish, too, so maybe he comes from a like lot a, of cops. I'm just, yeah. I'm just stereotyping. <laughs> the the old on. Irish cop Irish stereotype. Cop. Come on. Anyways, one of the cops was uh, Frank Gar, who I mentioned in the first episode. He was the lead detective, and he was not thrilled about Mark Furman coming in investigating. I mean, basically, another cop is coming in and judging your work, right? Like, right. And cops are so fucking weird and territorial already. Like, so you can see why I don't know what Dominic Dunn was thinking. Yeah. He was actually Dominic Dunn said that that um, Gar declined coming to the party and said that he was writing his own book on the case, which surprised Dominic Dunn because nothing had happened in 22 years. That's Dominic Dunn's words, which I like because it's a little shady. It like, is shady. What are you going to write? According to Gar, though, he was uh, not invited. That's his take on it. There was another interesting little uh, tidbit that's sort of... There was a lot of other cops at the party. Stephen Carroll was one, and he's sort of was a detective present at the murder scene in 1975. And he's actually someone who really fought to keep justice going for Martha Moxley. So he's like a good, good, a good guy. Frank Gar, I think is kind of good, but he, he takes a lot of slack for things that went wrong. Yeah. Um, another person who was at the party, and this is kind of like an interesting side story related to Skakel was, um, a state trooper named Conrad Winalski. And according to Dominic Dunn, after the party, a few months later, he was working at the police station when a man came in with a purse that he had found on the side of the road, and the person was Michael Skakel. Wait, he found a purse? Uh, Michael Skakel found a purse on the side of the road and then went to the police station to turn the purse in oh. to a guy who didn't know that, to a cop that was friends with Dominic Don and all of the Mark Furman, all these people investigating. Wow. Uh, so uh, according to the state trooper Winalski he I guess had a look on his face when he said my name is Michael Skakel I guess he had to fill out some information when he returned the purse and Michael said to him do you know who I am and and Winalski said yes I've read a book about the case and and Michael Skakel said by that fucking asshole Dominic Dunn <laughs> and then he also had Skakel also was quoted as saying, if I had time, I'd tell you exactly what happened. You'll find out, though. I'm writing a book about it. It'll come out in eight or nine months. The book never came out, by the way. <laughs> and then he said he said that he was clean and dry now and that better than anyone done should know. He's an alcoholic. He goes to meetings. He understands. And then Skakel also told Wanalski, people thought I was retarded when I was younger. I went to 13 schools. Finally, they found out I was dyslexic. I just think that's an amazing ender to any conversation. <laughs> 
<laughs> like when you're in a heated discussion and by the way don't at me because that's his direct quote that he's retarded <laughs> it's not something that i'm saying right in general people were not happy that Furman was there poking around yeah. uh in the case because if you want to believe that the rich people were covering things up the cops wouldn't be for for multitude of reasons the cops don't want another cop coming in yeah and um poking around Don didn't care, obviously. He gave him the report and he never regretted it. Uh, in addition to thinking that Furman was a good detective, he also knew that he was really good on TV and that just having him involved in the case was going to be a huge fucking tabloid fire. It was going to elevate yeah, the case. Yeah, it was going to elevate the case in a major way. He uh, mentioned how good Furman was. Because I think Furman took the fifth in the trial, right? In the OJ trial? Uh-huh. I can't I remember, remember right now. I don't, I don't remember... Maybe he testified and then he was caught lying and then took the fifth. Mm-hmm. But after that, apparently he had been on uh, several television programs, including one where he faced off against Ethley Bailey, who was one of uh, Simpson's lawyers and totally like eviscerated him on the Larry King show. Don, Don just knew that it was going to get attention. He was going to be on every news station or every like cable news network yeah. um, talking about this case. And he was going to do a good job advocating for Martha and for her family. Furman was like adamant that it was Michael Skakel too. So he would go in and fearlessly accuse him basically because he had evidence. And he's the one who was never looked at. He was the one that was never looked at. Right. That sort of was the conclusion of our last episode. So in 1998, the book on the murder called murder in Greenwich came out and it basically, like I said, named Michael Skakel as the murderer. 1998. Yeah. And I mean, at this point, most of the, the detectives on the case, Steve Carroll and Frank Gar, were also on board with this, the idea that Michael Skakel was the murderer, um, as well as a police reporter named Leonard Levitt, who wrote quite a bit about the case. The book came out in 1998. It did lead to a 2002 TV movie. <clears throat> the film is actually not really so much... A, it's 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 narrated by Martha Moxley, like that's the gimmick of it. What? And the narrator is um, Maggie Grace, who's like she was on Lost. Oh, um, oh, not like the actual voice of. I was like, no, no, Whoa. not the actual. Like, they don't have like they yeah. Do that? No, no, no. So that's sort of like the um, framing of the story. It's Martha narrating what happened. So it's like the Lovely Bones, kind of, kind of. But it's also very like Mark Furman is part of the story now. Like the story is about his struggles with the Greenwich police department it takes place in modern yeah so it's um it's a it's a true crime novel but it's also really about his um struggles with the greenwich police and then it cuts back and forth through flashbacks it's a good tv movie and i recommend it (laughs) i would love to just do tv movie recommendations maybe for (laughs) maybe for a bonus episode yeah so uh, according to dominic dunn he really believes that this book by mark Furman is really what got the ball rolling on finally getting justice for Martha Moxley. So this is, uh, I think the book came out in 1998. And in June of 1998, word came down that there was going to be an indictment of Michael Skakel. Wow. Uh, It's an indictment Eve. Indictment Eve. This is, uh, and I think according to Don the night before he was indicted, I guess it's sort of like how we all kind of know something's coming up. Right. Yeah. He, uh, got a call from Dorothy Moxley, Martha's mother. And she, I mean, this is according to Dominic Dunn, sort of a weird story. Cause it's like, well, why are you telling us someone told you you were great? And <laughs> according to him, she said, you started it. I'll never forget. And then they cried over their murdered daughters. And oh. she said that Dominic was one of her angels. 
Oh, it's kind of sad. That is sweet, though. Uh, yeah, I believe it. Yeah, because he really did do a lot. He should he should be patting himself on the back. <laughs> I'd be tweeting about it nonstop. <laughs> I think I got Roger Stone kicked off Twitter. <laughs> Who am I to judge people's arrogance? Right. <laughs> so in nineteen June of nineteen ninety eight. A one-man grand jury was convened to review the evidence of the case. A one-man? Yeah. And this is very, um, a rare, I was going to say. Thing. Uh-huh. Um, so according to Dominic Dunn, the first day of the grand jury was at Stamford, which is a town that's kind of, I don't, I'm not, it's right around Greenwich and in that area. I'm not sure. Yeah, Greenwich is some. Anyways. Uh, and like, there were like lots of rumors, like what Kennedys are going to show up. I mean, it was the beginning of like a big ish trial. Uh, so the rumors were that Robert Kennedy Jr. and his mom, Ethel, who is the aunt and cousin of Michael Skakel, were going to come. Uh, Ethel did not show up, but Robert Kennedy Jr. and his brother Douglas did. And um, Robert, who is like a huge advocate for Michael Skakel, by the way, really? to this day, yeah, he did make a statement. Uh, he said that it is a horrible, unspeakable tragedy, but it only compounds it to blame Michael, who is innocent. So this is a public statement he made the first day of the uh, grand jury. Um, so this is a probable cause hearing, not a trial, right, okay. as mentioned. So they're hearing evidence to see if we go forward uh, with a trial. Correct. 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 Yes, Desi. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> you are very smart. So Maureen Dennis was a, f- a former public defender, and she was the one sort of overseeing this trial. Uh, so she had to decide not only was there enough evidence for the case to go to trial, she also had to make the decision at some point whether Michael would be tried as a juvenile or as an adult. He was, six, he was 15 in 1975 and 39 at the time in 1998. Okay. So that was another decision that had to be made out of this outcome. Right. Now, I think... I may have touched briefly on this in the first one. The major witnesses that were going to be called up during this probable cause hearing were um, people that Michael knew at the Elon school uh, that I think I told you he went to. And it's sort of like a school for rich kids who are drug and alcohol and uh, problem, problem kids. Yeah. So this was a school in Poland Springs, Maine. Oh, Poland Springs. <laughs> Where they make water and rich kids get turn good. <laughs> and these people are people who were all going to testify that they heard Skakel confess to the murder of Martha Moxley. Wow. While so, he was at this school. Right. So this school is really expensive. We're talking like 50 grand a year back in 1998. For high school. For high school. It's like a, ref- it's a reform school yeah. for rich kids, basically. But the Skakels have money. The Skakels have a ton of money, like Kennedy level money. Uh, they didn't just marry rich. They were already rich. So this is where I said before, like drunk, druggy kids who have a ton of problems, their parents just ship them off to Poland Springs <laughs> and <laughs> they get all better. Right. Uh, and, and Michael was sent there shortly after the murder okay. of Martha. Uh, I think... Uh, He ran away from the school several times and was always sent back. In his book that I talked about earlier, he had written a proposal. I actually would love to read his book, but I don't want him to get money for it. Uh, He described Elon, I don't know if that's the correct way of saying it, as a concentration camp for kids. Oh. (laughs) Which could be their tagline. I don't know why they're not using it. Come to Elon, a concentration camp for kids. And he described it as um, being where I was subjected to a level of torture deemed unacceptable even for prisoners of war. I mean, come on. Like, 
I don't doubt that it was probably pretty harsh. Well, I do know firsthand. Rachel's like, well, I, I, I hate to play devil's advocate here. I myself have never been to one of these schools, but I know. You've heard horror stories? I have heard horror stories from people that I know personally who have gone to sort of reformatory style high schools in which but $50,000 a year ones like yes, rich kid ones yes and they're treated like shit yes hmm. um where there's child abuse hap- like sexual abuse happening right but that's not part of the program <laughs> I'm just saying any school can have sexual abuse or abuse child abuse but it's also easier to happen because no the one parents are the parents aren't there and no one believes them because the kids are thought to be manipulative to the parents right. to try and get out and so it's leave. an easy place for maybe a predator to go it's a very, and get away it's a very easy place for predators to go in my opinion I have known personally of a school that I had um a friend go to uh, in Oregon that was recently shut down, and it was a prestigious sort of reform style school for that cost money to right. go there. So it's and not some state run whatever. No, it's not. And you know, it, it, there was like a lot of emotional abuse happening with the kids, and a lot of sexual abuse and um, manual labor. Uh, stuff that like was not part of the program, but that was going on that was supposed to be. And the parents are under the illusion that these kids are healing and doing better. Um, I'm just saying it's not uncommon right in that instance but at the same time these are kids who are used to having everything handed to they them. are there is also that i mean there's like that's who well, knows if he's telling the truth well there's the rub and that's why when there is cases of kids that are actually being abused People it's don't hard listen. they don't want to listen and right. don't want to believe them well so i don't know what we'll have his, to we'll have yeah. to dig deep into we the dig, maybe we should later. do some investigations into these schools we should we get our little notepads out and i have my reading glasses on um, <laughs> so anyways, we'll, we'll just leave that up. That's his opinion. That's and who his, knows? It could be true. It could it be could true. It could not I mean, be true. We believe all women. Do we believe Michael Skakel? I don't know. Right. <laughs> We're a little biased be. against him right now. Right now he's a murderer. So who knows? Uh, anyways, the first student who gave testimony is named John Higgins. He was 37 at the time. Uh, he describes, uh, Elon as a place to hide your kids. If they bothered you, it was a place for my stepdad to keep me at bay. Hey, I wish my stepdad kept me at bay. (laughs) Hey, Hey. we all have our trials. So he was at the school for six months before he met Michael Skakel and they had, um, a job together. Uh, uh, They were called night owls and they were student guards who kept watches on other students to prevent them from running away. Which is funny because Michael ended he up He ran being, away. Yeah. I mean, it's the perfect job if you want to be a runaway, I guess. Totally. Um, according to Higgins, this is a direct quote from his testimony. He related to me he had been involved with a murder. And then they talked about it for a couple of hours. And he said that Michael told him he took a golf club out of a bag and was running through the woods and had a blackout. He said he didn't know if he did it. He couldn't remember if he did it. Dominic Don went to this uh, hearing like every day and he said during the during the testimony like they didn't have a jury so in the jury box they had two sketch artists drawing and he said he during that testimony of John Higgins he saw um, the sketch artist drawing tears on Michael's face and then he looked over and he saw that Michael was crying 
uh, at some point, the judge called a break because Michael was so inconsolable wow. during this testimony and all of his family. While, his, this while student, this student this was tele- testifying, testifying against him. Testify. <laughs> I just created a new word. That like could be that. something. That yeah, where you be. say something over text. That's so profound. Yeah, that's so profound. You're textifying. I love uh, that. Trademark. <laughs> um, <laughs> so he was inconsolable and all of his family is there. He had a lot of brothers and sisters and they're all hugging him, uh, kissing him and, you know, whatever kind of wrapping around him and protecting him, which is sort of what they do, right? Yeah. Rich people. So Don kind of admits to the fact that regardless of guilt or innocence, clearly Michael is going through like a lot of psychological pain over what has happened. Right. And it is quite possible he did something at 15 and he's completely different now. Right. And he still has to, I'm not forgiving him, but it's like, I can imagine what that must be like. Or if he was in a blackout and doesn't remember it or... I mean, it doesn't sound like, who knows? I mean, it there's some con- conflict, inner possi- conflict happening. He could po- very possibly not be a sociopath who committed this horrific crime and feels justified or not guilty. Even, imagine not remembering, but not knowing if you did it and thinking like, it's quite possible. Right. I did it. Like, I have no memory, right? Dominic Dunn also described him as defeated. Um, at the time... Michael Skakel's lawyer is someone named Mickey Sherman. I don't know if you know the name. He's like yeah. a pretty big time lawyer who does tons of big cases and celebrity uh, oriented stuff. After John Higgins testif- testimony, he went outside and made a statement that John Higgins was a moron, which is <laughs> not exactly legalese, but whatever. But he said that. Yeah. So the second student to testify is named Gregory Coleman. And he, at the time of his testimony, was in a maximum security prison for criminal trespassing at his former wife's house. Yeah. So it seems like kind of a sketch guy, right? Like yeah. he didn't, he did not improve from Elon's uh, uh, treatment. So I guess they let him out of prison to testify. Although, wow, it's kind of crazy. I should look into more of that, but to be in maximum sur- security prison for trespassing, obviously there's way more to that story, right? Yeah. Um, so he had been sent to Elon after stealing a television set which seems like a crazy thing for a rich kid to steal, but okay. There's Maybe probably... he was a kleptomaniac. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Obviously something else is also going on in that story. Yes. So he testified, I don't know if he testified to this, but he's also a student. There was some other criminal activity at Elon. This was also girls were at the school. It wasn't boys only. Oh my. And he was one of several students who participated in, I guess, hazing a female student for something and he and other students beat her with wooden paddles and with their hands until she went into shock, urinated on herself and defecated on herself. Oh, no. Um, so this guy seems bad, right? Yeah. Uh, he was actually, after Michael Skakel ran away and would return to Elon, Coleman was actually put in charge of guarding him. So mm-hmm. he became the night owl that then was guarding Michael, Michael. Skakel after the return. So it was during this period, and like, why on earth would you put that kid in charge of anyone, like after he beat someone? But anyway, I'm beginning to think that Rachel's <laughs> onto something about <laughs> these schools being garbage. Um, but he did say that Michael Skagel had special privileges, that he had a stereo, he could listen to music. So he kind of maybe had a little bit more privilege than some of the other rich kids. Yeah. Uh, Coleman said that. I mean, in his opinion, this was a guy who can get away with murder, which seems a little on point. But, oh, wait, no. Coleman said that to Skagel at some point, this guy can get away with murder About based on night. his special privileges. Right. 
Uh, so I think he might have said it just as an, uh, an aside and that he said that Michael Skakel replied, I'm going to get away with murder. I'm a Kennedy. And then Coleman said that Skakel said at some point that he drove her skull, which is a golf term. So, you know, he killed her with a golf club. So he drove her skull after she resisted his advances. Coleman also said that Michael told him that he had jerked off on Martha's body. And during a primal scream session at the school, Michael was told to scream, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Uh, So obviously that was a huge setback for Michael Skakel. After that, Michael was also crying during this testimony. Uh, Mickey Sherman told people that the reason he's crying is because he couldn't bear to see these lies be told against him. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he can bear this false bearing people bearing false witness. This is ridiculous. <laughs> so this is an 18 month long investigation. Damn. Uh, and after that, it was decided that there was enough evidence to charge Michael Skakel with murder. She, the judge, judge Dennis basically said that, based on the testimony of John Higgins and Gregory Coleman, that they observed the conduct, demeanor, and attitudes of those witnesses that the court found each of them to be very credible. This is a 13-page statement, by the way. She also said that the court finds that the specific element of intent to cause death has been proven well beyond a mere suspicion. Right. Uh, She delayed her decision as to whether Skakel should be tried as a, a, a juvenile or an adult. I mean, the difference between those two is pretty major. Like, if he was tried as a juvenile he would maybe receive four years at most if he was tried as an adult it it would be anywhere from ryan reynolds here from Mint mobile with the price of just about everything going up during inflation we thought we'd bring our prices down so to help us we brought in a reverse auctioneer which is apparently a thing Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm the queen of starting a free trial offer and forgetting to cancel it, oftentimes being charged for months for something I'm not even using. If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? If you would have asked me this question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said yes, but let me tell you, I would have been so wrong. I can't believe how many I had and all the money I was wasting. With Rocket Money, I can see all of my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, I can cancel it with a tap. I never have to get on the phone with customer service. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill, and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. It's definitely saved me money and now I can use that money to waste on things I do want. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. That's rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. 65 years to life. People were sort of irritated by the delay, but Mar- uh, Dorothy Moxley 
was just, I've been patient for 25 years. Like I'm not, I don't want things to get fucked up. Like I want to do everything right to get this going. I've been waiting so long forever to have this happen. So, uh, January 19th, 2000, an arrest warrant was issued for an unnamed juvenile for Mark Moxley's murder. And then Skakel surrendered to authorities later that day and was released shortly after on a $500,000 bail. On March 14th, of 2000, Skakel was arraigned for murder in a juvenile court as he was 15 years old at the time. It was during this arraignment, actually, that Michael had Martha's mom, Dorothy, showed up to the arraignment. And it was during this arraignment, the first day of the arraignment, that they had their first sort of interaction. Mm-hmm. Skakel went up to Dorothy Moxley at the courthouse and told her she had the wrong guy. Uh, it was a pretty big deal. Afterwards, it was like a big news story. He like literally yelled at her, you have the wrong guy. Wow. This is just like this mom, right? Like she's not doing anything. Uh, afterwards, Sherman uh, said Dominic wasn't there that day. And Sherman called Dominic and was like, hey, what'd you, what'd you think of what Michael <laughs> said to Dorothy? It's like, well, what do you think he's going to think, right? Uh, and Dominic, according to Dominic, he said to, to Mickey Sherman, I thought it was fake and stage, and I'll bet you wrote that line for him to say. It was like Johnny Cochran giving the absolutely 100% not guilty line to O.J. Simpson. Would you like to hear what Dorothy Moxley thought about that stunt? She was deeply offended. She said to me on the telephone, how dare he come into my space? I haven't seen Michael Skakel for 25 years. He's on trial for killing my daughter, and how dare he call me Dorothy? I mean, it's pretty fucked up. It's like, just fucking keep to yourself. Yeah. She's not like in charge of what happens. Right. Or who gets arrested. Don't reach out to the mom. Right. Uh, I just love that Mickey Sherman was like, hey. (laughs) So on January 31st, I think that's 2002, the judge actually finally did rule that Skakel could be tried as an adult. Oh, wow. Up until that point, he was being uh, processed in a juvenile court, but the decision still hadn't been made. It was just a formality yeah. because he was a, a juvenile at the time. So he was going to be tried uh, as an adult. For sure he's going to be tried as right. an adult. The what official decision was that? made. <sighs> it's really hard. I'm kind of, when it's murder and you're a teenager, I just feel like, I don't know. I feel like you should know better when you're 15 not when you're to 15, murder people. you're 15 not to beat someone with a golf club. I mean, yeah. I, no one had to tell me. No, yeah, that's not I don't, like a I almost life feel like it's a case by case thing. Like I don't know that there's a set answer to that. Um, but it does go to show just fucking confess when it happens cuz you probably would have been tried as a juvenile back then, right? right? Like I don't know. I it's pretty tricky. It's tricky because only, only because when you think about it, oh, it's so long ago and he was so young, but then you th- I think about when I was 15, I would have never murdered someone with a golf club. <laughs> like and then, but then you also have a record of his life since then, and he's not criminal in any way. Right. That's interesting too. I don't know. It's tricky. I was going to, I was going to ask, like, is there anything else in his life, um, that makes him like his personality, like that makes him a piece of shit? Like, has he shown any other signs throughout his life um, that he could be capable he of He did this? have some drunk driving things back in the day, but I don't think he has anything of note. Nothing like he recently. was domestic abuse. No, or... no, 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 no. Nothing, nothing that he was at least arrested for. Right. Or uh, who knows. 
And and again, uh, they're a rich family. They could cover up all kinds of right, fucking right. shit. I mean, I honestly, I didn't see anything. But yeah, I mean, it is definitely an interesting... I think the problem with a lot of things in the justice system is that they're applied very inequitably. Is that a word? Do you know what I mean? Case by case. I think it should be almost case by case, but then at the same time, it's like, well, are they just going to put all black kids in jail? Right. And let white rich kids out? It leads. So it's like it leads a lot to like inequitable like decisions. Even more than there already is. Right. So it's tricky because you're like you want to say case by case, but then it's like, well, those people aren't going to have Mickey Sherman. Or good defense people yeah. or, yeah, so I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. If that was one of those things. Um, so May 7th, 2002, Sky, uh, Skakel's trial begins. He, went, he, he, you know, was steadfast about his alibi that at the time of murder, he was watching the Monty Python movie at his He's cousin's still house. Maintaining He's still this. maintaining this, right? Even though it changed at some point. Yeah, but that change was in that report, and I don't think that that was admissible oh. uh, because... It was through the, it was an right. official police. Whatever. So this is like sort of an interesting thing about this trial. During the trial, the, t- the jury was able to hear parts of his taped book proposal that we've mentioned before. Oh, wow. Yeah. Which seems like really crazy to me reading about, cause that seems like, it seems like no one can ever get any evidence in that's good. <laughs> like in <laughs> juicy, if it's not like formally, da, 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 you know what yeah. I mean? Like, yeah. it just seems like nothing ever gets let in. And this seems like, wow, okay. So in this book proposal, Michael speaks about jerking off in a tree on the night of the murder. So those are so that really that, happened. Those are his own that, words. Those are his own words. And this the, is the bef- friend said he jerked off on Martha. But it is sort of like, well, it was their DNA on Martha. And is this like, are you trying to think of ways why DNA would be there? If you, right. do you know what I mean? It's like. I didn't do it on her, but I did jerk off in her tree two days. So it's possible there's some cum floating around. Like, I don't know. Like, oh, he was, he was alleging that he jerked off before the murder on the night of the murder. So that possibly under the same tree under which Martha's body was found. So that cum could have fallen onto the grass. Right. I mean, it seems like a pretty like, oh, I know what I can do. I can say that seems like such a fucking lie. In my opinion, it's a lie. Um, it's a hot lie. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, in the book proposal, he also, he never admits to committing the murder in the book proposal, nothing like that. The interesting thing that, that I thought was interesting, the prosecutors took words from the book proposal and they would overlay them on graphic images of Martha's dead body to match up, to match scene. up the scenes. Wow. I want to see that. I know. So, and then they, this was done during the closing argument. So they took all like, the things he actually said in the book and they would match it up That's with crime scene phones. That's a powerful closing yeah, argument. Yeah, totally. So, and this is his words, like, speaking them because he, he it's it was an audio of speaking. this. It's his own voice saying things that he was afraid that his previous night's jerking off and he panicked. He also, so, so the jury heard the whole proposal tape during the closing arguments um, at some point Wait, I'm sorry. Uh, he actually, they didn't show, they didn't play the portion of the audio tape where Michael said jerking off. So it gave the impression that he was confessing to murder. They edited the tape? They edited the tape, right. That's not good. Yeah, it seems bad, right? So uh, on June 7th, 2002, so this is like a month later, Michael was found guilty of murdering Martha Moxley and sentenced to 20 years to life in prison. Wow. The prosecutor's use of that multimedia presentation, no surprising, was the basis for his first appeal. 
because it does seem it was crazy, doctored. Right? Yeah. Um, the prosecution, of course, was like, fuck that. And they their statement they released was the state engaged in appropriate and effective advocacy by using trial exhibits to highlight certain evidences and inferences. Just as the state should not be deprived of its most valuable evidence, unless there's a compelling reason to do so, the state should not be prohibited from making its best arguments. The state's use of audio and photographic exhibits during argument was a matter of effective advocacy. The state did not, as the defendant claims, distort the evidence in any respect by placing certain exhibits next to defendant's words or dis or by displaying two related exhibits simultaneously, the state was making explicit the inferences it was asking the jury to draw. That is the job of an advocate. So after that conviction in January 2003, Robert Kennedy Jr., who is uh, Skakel's cousin I mentioned before, wrote an article in the Atlantic Monthly, Monthly called A Miscarriage of Justice. He was saying... Basically, the article says the whole trial and indictment of Skakel was triggered by an inflamed media and that an innocent man is now in prison. What is it with rich people in the media <laughs> that are always <laughs> after them, right? In this um, article, Kennedy also makes the case that the real killer was Kenneth Littleton, the live-in tutor. And he really goes all out, and he's an attorney, so he... Was he making... Yeah. Like, uh, was he saying... Yeah, he's basically Theories. saying, yeah. So I'm going to get into Ken, Ken Littleton just okay. a bit here because I didn't talk about him much last time. I think I briefly say that he was like sort of the other suspect. Um, and he was the tutor of the Skakels? He was the tutor of the Skakels. He was hired. Um, he was uh, in 1975. He was 23 years old. And he was um, a teacher at the Brunswick School where the Skakel boys attended uh, school, three of them. He was hired by Rushton to be the live-in tutor and to kind of babysit them, like rein them in, because they were wild children. I think I talked about in the first thing, yeah. he was a widower, so they had no supervision. The mom was dead, and it was right. just like hell. His first night on murder, his first night on the job was the night of the murder. No way. Yeah, right. Was he like a guy in the town, the existing person? He was at. A, he was a teacher at the school. He was a 23-year-old oh, okay. teacher so at the knew, school. So he knew, that's what I'm saying, is he knew the kids. Yeah, he knew okay. the kids. Well, he knew the kids before teaching, but that was his first day on the job. Okay. He had actually taken the children to um, the Bellhaven Club for dinner that night. The father was away on a hunting trip. Uh, he wasn't there. He, according to Ken Little, Tommy and Michael drank a ton at this dinner, even though they were teenagers, which just shows you about that town where rich people are just doing whatever. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about most of this. The boys went out. It was mischief night the night before Halloween. And then after Martha's body was discovered, Littleton was initially one of the prime suspects. Um, and he had a falling out with Rushton after that. And he was interrogated over and over again. He took polygraph tests and had inconclusive results, etc. cetera. Um, everyone secretly behind the scenes the town was like oh how convenient blame it on the tutor right yeah <laughs> um so that night and like the aftermath of it basically ruined his life he did have like several arrests after that breaking and entering burglary he became an alcoholic he just his life was ruined by those accusations because he yeah. had no backing and no standing he wasn't like from a rich he family was the help right as far as they were concerned right. so According to, um, did they have any evidence at the time or it was just wild? No, accusations? it was wild accusations. Like, cause it was almost like, Oh, who's this guy who's here? He's not one of us. Yeah, exactly. There's one of the initial accusers of Kenneth little 
actually went to Dorothy Moxley's home in New Jersey after the book came out and after Michael Skakel was indicted. The two women were neighbors at the time. Yeah. uh, And they hadn't seen each other since that period. Um, The woman uh, came up to Dorothy Moxley's house and said to her, you know, so much time has gone by. Why, what good are you doing? Haven't the Skakels suffered enough? Uh, and then Dorothy Moxley apparently said to her, would you ask that if it was your daughter? Cause she brought her daughter with her, who was Martha's age at the time of murder. I mean, just can you believe like the nerve, like what a busybody, Right. <laughs> so, um, that's just a little sidebar about Ken Littleton. Now, Ken Littleton, one more little sidebar about him. He, there was an article published in the New York post, I think a few years ago, um, where he kind of finally spoke and gave his side of the story because he was trying to basically clear his name after all these years. Yeah. He said that um, he had an interesting story, I thought, about Michael, that after he was hired, or after the murder, like a few weeks after the murder, he found a dead chipmunk on the grounds of the Bellhaven Country Club and that the animal had been smashed with a golf club and crucified, <gasps> nailed to a patch of grass with golf tees. Oh, my God. Littleton confronted Michael at the time uh, about the animal. He said, did you do this, Michael? And Michael's reply was, who else could have done it, Kenny? Uh, And Littleton said it always stuck with him because it was just weeks after Martha had been murdered. And according to Littleton, he said, I knew in my heart that he had committed the murder. What a creepy fucking story. That is so creepy. Yeah. Which also famously, it's like a telltale sign of a psychopath or a serial killer that they hurt animals when they're young. But then to do something so similar to what, I mean, Martha wasn't crucified with teas and all that, but the golf club or the the golf golf aspect of it was definitely something. Here we get into a lot of appeals. In November, 2003, Skakel appealed his conviction and said that he should have been hurt in juvenile court rather than superior court. He also claimed that the statute of limitations had expired on the charges against him and that there was prosecutorial misconduct. In 2006, the Connecticut Supreme Court rejected those claims and affirmed his conviction. Skakel actually hired a new attorney at that point, Theodore Olson. I don't know if you remember him. He, uh, a few things about him. He actually was one of the, the lawyers who fought for gay marriage in the Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. He's a conservative uh, his wife died on 9-11 in one of the planes. <laughs> These are my little fun facts. <laughs> but he, really he's fun. kind of a conservative. His wife died in, in a plane, in the plane crash, uh, I think, in the Pentagon. And then he did go on to kind of vindicate himself a bit by fighting for, for gay, gay marriage. Rights, right. Blah, blah, blah. Where was I? And then Skakel tried to get him another. I mean, uh, Theodore Olson tried to get him another appeal. He applied for a writ of seratiori which I don't know what that is. Some kind Latin? of opinion. It's Latin. Is that French? I don't know. We need an English professor. Yeah. Uh, professor. Professor. <laughs> professor. We need a, um, yeah. The Supreme Court declined to hear that case as well. He did a ton of other appeals and, and things like that. The one that I kind of stood out to me was they, they tried to get an appeal based on some new evidence. And that evidence was from Gitano Tony Bryant, who was the cousins of Los Angeles Laker Kobe Bryant, and went to school with Skakel at Brunswick School wow. in Greenwich, Connecticut. So they got Tony Bryant on tape saying that one of his companions on the night of Moxley's murder had wanted to rape her. Was it Kobe? I don't know. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, and that he didn't come forward because his mom told him that a black man would be tagged for the unsolved murder if he said anything. 
that he knew of someone. Yeah. So it's all kind of sketchy, but the Kennedys just had money and they were fucking pulling things out of the woodwork. Oh, yeah. Which is interesting because it's like, well, you could have done this 25 years ago or whenever. So then there was some, you know, trial or a hearing to see if that evidence was admissible. Uh, You know, the new evidence by uh, Tony Bryant and then the prosecution was basically saying that Brian made it up to sell us a play based on the case. So everyone's like a piece of shit in this thing. <laughs> um, and it was denied. The uh, submission of this new evidence was deemed not relevant. The Skakel defense team also hired an investigative team to kind of go into the Elon school and try to take down that school and the testimony of the students that went there. Yeah. And that kind of fell through as well. Uh, I think October 25th, 2007, a superior court judge denied the request for a new trial saying that Brian's testimony was not credible and there was no evidence of prosecutorial misconduct in the original trial. Then they tried to appeal the trial by throwing up their former lawyer, Mickey Sherman, under the bus. In April 2013, Skakel testified that Sherman was more focused on basking in the celebrity of the trial than defending Michael Skakel and he said that you know Sherman was just concerned about collecting fees to settle his own financial problems and not concerned about Skakel. Sherman testified in his own defense. He he actually testified protecting himself and his actions as a lawyer and he he never threw Skakel under the bus. He always maintained Skakel's innocence. Nonetheless, on October 23rd, 2013, Skakel was granted a new trial by Connecticut judge Thomas Bishop who said that uh, about Mickey Sherman, trial counsel's failures in each of these areas representation were significant and ultimately fatal to a constitutionally adequate defense. As a consequence of trial counsel's failures, as stated, the state procured a judgment of conviction that lacks reliability. So the decision, his conviction was overturned. Wow. Uh, And the judge actually went on to say... But he still has to go to a new trial. Right. The judge went on to say... Like a little bit further, he said that that the Mickey Sherman should have redirected blame towards Tommy Skakel. Like that was really? one of the things that he criticized Sherman for not doing. Like if you're going to defend your client to the redirect fullest, you need to, to even else. throw other people under the bus right. to kind of point. Um, although I'm sure Michael wouldn't have wanted that. Maybe. I don't brother. know. Who knows? Because Tommy was the guy who was originally right. Right. under suspicion. So... Um, November 21st, 2013, Skakel was released on bond for $1.2 million. Um, he was under a GPS tracking device. He was not allowed to contact Moxley's family and he had to check in by phone and was not allowed to leave the state of Connecticut, uh, et cetera. So obviously the prosecution immediately appeals this, uh, decision. At this point, Dominic Dunn had died, uh, so he's not involved anymore. He died in 2012? Right. So this is 2013. Okay. So according to Dorothy, when she got the news of this, her quote is, if you've ever been the victim of a serious crime, it never goes away, appeals or no appeals. But these people really have ways of reminding you in big ways all the time. It seems like every year I go up to Connecticut to fight something, one, one thing after the other. She uh, still referred to Don as her angel, and she said, knowing Dominic, he's up there someplace weighing in on this somehow. So in 2006, Robert Kennedy Jr. actually releases another book 
entitled Framed Why Michael Skakel Spent Over a Decade in Prison for a Murder He Didn't Commit. Not a very catchy title, in my opinion. Mm-mm. In December 2016, the Connecticut Supreme Court reinstated Skakel's murder conviction with a 4-3 majority decision. So he never went back on trial. They, they basically said that judge fucked up the prosecution send him back there was no there was no uh defense attorney misconduct uh his conviction stands so he right. never did go back to pr- uh, trial they basically they just sent him back they threw prison. it back well no oh so so basically the court said mr skakel's original lawyer had re- represented him effectively and that he would be sent back to prison to finish the term of 20 years to life um, immediately after his sentence was reinstated, Mr. Skakel's legal team petitioned the court for reconsideration, which is really another rare thing. And he is still out on bail. He's still fucking wow. out on bail. So this is from December 2016 was when it was reinstated. So now we're like, what, nine months or 10 months in. 2017 and he's still out on bail even though his sentence was restated it was reinstated in 2016 december 2016 so like the end of the year wow um obviously martha moxley's family is fucking furious Yeah. yeah um and in september last month the rights to kennedy's book that i just mentioned were optioned by FX for a multi-part television series, which sounds very Ryan Murphy. Totally. Crime, right? Totally. Maybe it is. Probably. Because it's FX and it's crime. Yeah, he's probably most so likely attached to that. They'll probably get it all down much better than I did. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm That's very- like a lot of trials and uh convictions and appeals it was like so There's complicated so much trials i even left out some parole hearings because i was like ugh, it's too confusing oh but my like God. so yeah he's basically out right now wow. and I, I was searching endlessly to find out i was like what's the conclusion of this where is he right now yeah like, what's he doing he's just living with his fucking ankle bracelet on awaiting but this is what i'm talking about like when you're rich you can just keep paying for fucking appeals and like it never fucking yeah. ends and yeah. it's like where is the justice in that? Like, There's if no- you're poor, you can't keep filing for appeals and no. just make it play out until the end of fucking time. Like, right. installing, installing. And installing. I mean, who cares? I'll be happy to stay in my home with an angle bracelet. But that's not punishment. <laughs> like, right. that's life for me. Like, oh, right? Oh, I you mean, mean, I don't have to go. Leave yeah, my- fine. Like, sorry, I can't go to your party with an angle bracelet. <laughs> I'm gonna order in. Yeah. Oh, what are you going to do? Oh my I mean, God. it's just like insane to me that this poor family has been put pulled back and forth. I mean, there was so much stuff that I left out because I just felt like it was overwhelming. All these right. like, little side all the trials stories. and stuff. But yeah, um, I so that's it. I couldn't do it. I mean, it is such a... And Martha, her mom is still alive, like fighting this, like this poor little old lady, like has to spend she the rest of her fucking days dealing with this. She doesn't yeah. have rest. She doesn't right. have closure. Right. Do you think Tommy or Michael did it? Do you think it's definitely Michael? I don't know. I mean, the waters are so muddy. I think it's possible he did it and doesn't remember. Yeah. Or was so fucking. I mean, you talk about when you were in your drug days. Right. That it's like all a wash of memories. Like Totally. I mean, there's certain stuff that's a wash, but I've certainly, I think when you're a blackout drinker, I wasn't really a blackout drinker because I did so much 
cocaine. You but, black out. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I was more of a hallucinator from being right. awake for three days straight. So I would, but I never, but I remembered all the crazy never, fucking shit I did. I've never blacked out drinking. Yeah. So I don't have those things. Like I have things where I don't remember what I did. I do too, but I've never, I don't, uh, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I mean, and I feel like it is, like it does make sense. I'm sure if he did do it, he has confessed it to somebody at some point. Right. Specifically, probably his father, who's like, we're going to deal with this. We're going to take care of this. I feel like at the very best case scenario, he did it, but really truly does not remember doing it. Yes. Like that to me seems like the most likely scenario. And the reason I'm going to go with that route go down the route that he is guilty is because he lied about he made up the story about the jerking off in the tree like that to me it's like if you don't remember you don't remember like that's fine i can buy that but when you start making up things then i'm like you're covering something up that you know happened and didn't he also make a statement he made two different statements about where he was the night of the murder he made the statement that he was watching monty python but then he his first initial statement was different wasn't it no or was it his second statement or he told someone he was somewhere else? He had a few statements during the aftermath, but I don't I don't know that Maybe the Monty Python the I don't know that the Monty Python and the jerking off wouldn't have been able to happen in the same night. Yeah. Like I don't know that he ever said he was doing anything other than the Monty Python, but he would add things like, Oh, I did also jerk off in the tree. Like do you know what I mean? Right. Like okay. I think he added things to what he did that night. Right. It wasn't I like just meant instead that his story of story changed. His story changed, yeah, definitely. His story changed throughout the Um so yeah, for me it's the lying about the jerking off that that's suspicious to me. And yeah. uh I don't know. Well who goes in a tree to jerk off? Well maybe if he's looking if he's looking to jerk in off a window. Right. Or if he's if you're really drunk it seems quite dangerous to me to jerk off in a tree and also rough can you imagine i mean i guess if you're a guy you just whip your dick out of your jeans but like yeah it's not like us where i was just thinking i was like like riding the trunk (laughs) ass on the trunk no thank you that's rough i don't want to ride some bark (laughs) it's fucking rough um yeah yeah that would be my conclusion the jerk off story is what did it for me i would like our listeners "Eh." to weigh in yeah weigh in on twitter weigh in on twitter or on our facebook Facebook group yeah we have a fun group and then we're trying to get it going yeah it's it's a group we just started it like last week um it's for fans of the show who want to interact with each other as well as we'll be posting interesting links from time to time. You can post your own stuff, like your own stuff relating to true crime or shows we've done in the past. If you want to have discussions about them, this is a great place to do it. Uh, just request to join the group and I'll add you. It's called Hollywood Crime Scene Friends. So please check out that group on Facebook. Yeah. And I guess, yeah. That's it. That's it. Bye. Bye.